Welcome to the final installment of the Big Sky Podcast Network Power Rankings. I'm your host, Brian Marceau, for the first time. Well, not exactly the first time, but the first time on this show. I've got a co-host. I've got a guest. It's Dallas Hammer, who uh, typically is hosting Tubs of the Club, but this is a Big Sky Podcast Network, so you guys are, st- are stuck with me. Dallas, how's it going? Uh, it is going fantastic. Um for anybody that knows me, I'm a diehard Vandal and a diehard Rams fan, which has been fun to watch as they just get plowed through every single Sunday. So I'm still in recovery mode from that, but Idaho made the playoffs. Things are going well. They are. And this week, we're not going to do power rankings, even though it's the power rankings show. This is going to be season grades and season awards. You, The awards are done similar to how the podcast rankings were done throughout the year. This is a poll given out to Big Sky beat reporters, guys like Greg Woods, Coulter Nuanez, Jane Adams, and, or Jane, Jane Adams, yeah, or Jane Smith. I always get her name wrong, and that is always why I try to not say it. it her first name is Jane. She covers Northern Colorado. Jaden Watson Fisher Adams. See, that's her problem. Are, she has 15, she has 15 last names. That, that's her problem. This is not my fault. Uh, but anyway, beat reporters who cover other, all the Big Sky schools. We also have Big Sky Podcast Network, uh, co-hosts and hosts guys like dallas hammer voted mike nugent and burnt Wahlberg from grizz fan pod both the ryans from rnr cat cast colby peterson D- dustin chapman from weber state weekly kyler neal from fcs fans nation and eagle power hour he's a little more fcs fans nation now but that is not his fault we're probably going to get to that throughout uh, today's episode about why that happened uh, relative to on the field stuff but the grades themselves that's just me and dallas and uh this is brought to us by Hughes River Expedition, even though it's uh, Big Sky Podcast Network. You're on Tubs at the Club. If you're on Tubs at the Club, that means it's Hughes River Expedition, who's a sponsor. And now, first, we're going to start with grades of the good teams. And, you know, at Dallas, I want to – It's an, we're on an Idaho channel. Let's just start with Idaho. So, I, question – you throw it right to you, man. Uh, grade for Idaho. I think this is one of the brain-dead ones. But uh, – what do you grade? So I should, I got to filibuster you already. These grades are not on a curve. They're absolutely going to be F's given out through this show. So now back to, now to Dallas. What's so your- a first caveat from me, Brian, are we talking pluses and minuses or just straight letters? You can do plus minus. It's fine. Okay. A plus for Idaho. There is no question to me. A plus this you again you and i obviously from an idaho podcast both of us thought five wins was more than reasonable and we would have been quite happy with it and instead idaho going back to the fcs playoffs for the first time since they came back to the big sky um largely with the same cast of players they had under paul petrino who couldn't seem to find any way to get wins against any team that wasn't like a northern colorado level disaster so Nothing more than an A-plus for Jason Eck and the Idaho Vandals in his first year as head coach. Uh, A playoff berth is something I think Idaho fans thought was going to come five years ago when the drop-down happened. It took, obviously, a lot longer to get there than they wanted it to, but uh, first year of the Jason Eck program making the playoffs, you can't give it anything other than an A. Dallas, make sure to check out the private chat uh, comments. So... If the audio came through for you guys, Dallas is saying some stuff pretty similar to what I would say, which is Idaho easily, like, first off, Idaho exceeded expectations, which is going to be part of, uh, 
I mean, part of why the season felt as good as it did, both for Idaho fans and also Big Sky fans who've been waiting for four years for Idaho to show something. Uh, but in it, look, in addition to exceeding expectations, Idaho objectively hit some pretty big metrics. Finally, first time Idaho beat, beat Montana, beat Montana on the road at a sold out game, which it, obviously the win mattered. But now Idaho also being an, a, a potential attendance driver at some games. Uh, that's that's a big step forward for Idaho. Uh, Idaho looking good in the FBS games. Yeah, that that part matters. And um, Idaho makes the playoffs. And I guess the other thing too, man, this is a monkey off our backs, off Idaho backs. Was Idaho honestly looked better on the road this year than I, the Vandals did at home? And Idaho did not look bad at home this year whatsoever. Just had a couple of rough halves. So um i i'm not going to go with an a plus the reason i'm not going with an a plus dallas is because uh to me these grades are not curved and even though idaho exceeded expectations obviously idaho did not have the best big sky season in the entire conference uh, but this was an easy a like this was amongst podcast uh, contributor voters and beat reporters one of the awards we had was best story of the year Idaho won best story of the year in a runaway because it's not just Idaho fans who've been waiting for Idaho to show up. Montana, Montana State fans have wanted Idaho to become relevant. Weber State has wanted Idaho to become relevant. Virtually every fan base has wanted Idaho to become something since coming down to the big sky. So this year, this was this is a celebration for Idaho fans um, and also the big sky itself. If Idaho continues this, it's Pretty quickly, schools are not going to be stoked about Idaho being good. This is because of how bad Idaho was for so long. But, uh, he, I mean, huge, huge season for Idaho, no question. Um, we're going to go more granular on Idaho's season in the on the Tubbs of Club episode tomorrow, previewing that playoff game. But I guess Dallas, one of, I'm going to throw this to you for every single playoff team. Let's say Idaho finishes 7-4 and four this season, which the Vandals did but they're left outside the playoffs. How, how does that change your grade? Uh, I take the plus off of it and still give it an A. That, it, that to me, is Idaho won more games than they lost, which is only the fourth time this millennium that that's happened. So uh, it still, still has to be an A. The, it would be disappointing if you're you know, in the UC Davis spot of just being just right outside the playoff bubble. But for for Idaho fans and especially for those that maybe don't follow Idaho the the overall messaging from the Idaho camp is wow everything turned around and this this is what it's like to have good football and f- like and fun during the fall this is this is weird but i like it yeah i'll take that other things that moved in the right direction for Idaho which case you're you're not showing up to the Kimmy Dome as a you know as a Montana fan or an Eastern fan. Idaho's attendance moved up throughout the course of the season, took a couple weeks to get going, but that's a big deal for Idaho and having another big sky team with a fun environment. And uh look for the playoffs. Look, Idaho's gonna travel to southeast Louisiana. This is I mean this isn't Idaho earning anything, but Idaho gets a break in placement because I think it's much better for Idaho to be playing a team like Southeast Louisiana that isn't going to have the offensive line and defensive line to really disrupt Idaho. Like Weber state might have at least on the defensive line side. Uh, so Idaho might even be able to push that win total up to eight 
win a first round game. Second round matchup Idaho has. They're not playing any of the Big Sky or Missouri Valley teams, which every team in the playoffs is good. But Idaho honestly like had as good a break as they could get to maybe even push that win total up to nine. Pretty hard to have a better season uh, for, for Idaho under Jason Eck. And I guess that's the other thing too is hiring a new coach is always a crapshoot. We're going to talk about some schools that have hired new coaches where isn't working out as well as you'd hope. Idaho clearly hit a home run. So yeah. Okay. A for Idaho moving on next playoff team. Look, this is probably going to be a pretty easy one for you. Sacramento state Dallas. I mean, I know that this might've been their expectation based off of what they've done the the previous two years, but I can't give them anything other than an a plus either. You, you, you won every single game on the schedule. You looked pretty damn good doing it. Yes. You had, you had your occasional hiccups. Uh, you you kind of let Davis back into that game there at the end of the season. Uh, Idaho was a close game at the end. Montana, you probably don't win if Lucas Johnson doesn't get knocked out. But again, at the end of the day, you win an eleven and zero. Like there's just not a whole lot of for the regular season. This is an A plus. Now when they get to the playoffs, yeah, you're probably hoping for more success than you've seen the last two years. But from the regular season, this is the other A plus grade to me. Yeah, Sacramento State on the big sky season averages 40 points a game, gives up 20, gives up 22 points a game. So an average Sac State game in conference play was a blowout. Dallas, you talked about the close games with the, the better teams in the conference. Well, Sac State's 11 and 0. They also also have an FBS win. We know the FBS win over Colorado State is not actually as impressive as I mean, honestly, it's like beating Montana. I mean, we'll we'll talk about Montana because of injuries, but like, I, I find beating honestly, I find beating Montana the run of beating Montana, Idaho, and Weber in back to back to back weeks for Sac State significantly more impressive than beating Colorado State forty one to ten. I mean, Brian, if you extend that an extra two weeks, they also beat Eastern Washington and Northern Colorado, so five of the best in the Big Sky just right in a row there. How'd you disrespect Cal Poly? You left the, left them off that six game winning streak, but yeah, look, Sac, Sac State. What matters for them is going to be the playoffs. But now, look, Troy Taylor has one Big Sky loss in three seasons, guys. This is the third consecutive share of a at least share of a Big Sky title Sac State's had in the last three normal seasons. Sacramento State makes a two quarterback system work. Uh, because Troy Taylor's creative sell, uh, Sacramento State. Look, we'll we'll get to Player of the Year on the offense, but Sacramento State. It's just it's so damn wild to me that in 2018, 2018 was the team won one game in 2018. That you switch coach. It's it was even a more dramatic version than Idaho of just get the right guy in place and look another home run hire. Troy Taylor. I don't know if Troy Taylor's ever going to leave Sacramento State, but if he stays for like three more years and Sacramento state's playing like this, that stadium better be renamed the Troy Taylor Memorial stadium at some point. So sneaky be on the lookout. Uh, Dunaway and O'Hara are both seniors. So assuming they have used up all of their COVID eligibility, do we see Sac state with a two quarterback system next year? Or of course, does not. whatever they have in the system turn things around. And if so, again, Brian, I would assume the same thing that we're not going to see. Uh, a second uh, or excuse me, a fourth straight year of two quarterback system. I don't think we're going to see that. However, I would think if Troy Taylor ever leaves Sac State, it would be 
if and when he has a regular single quarterback offense. Yeah, I when we did the the research for the the coaching search during the Idaho season during Idaho's offseason last year, I talked to some Sacramento State uh, reporters and they that was when I was, you know, checking into leads on Andy Thompson, the defensive coordinator for Sacramento State. And what everyone told me around Sacramento State was like, look, if Troy Taylor gets a kick-ass offer, yeah, he'll leave. But Troy Taylor's a little bit older for his first head coaching job. He actually took about a 50% pay cut to come from being the offensive coordinator at University of Utah to become the head coach of Sacramento State. So being a head coach is something the dude wants. If he doesn't get a real good offer in probably the Northern, Northern California area, like Cal or something like that, they just expect Troy Taylor's fine where he is. He has virtually no media obligation. They're beating the shit out of everyone. Look here. Here's a wild stat. I don't have the number pulled up, but look, Friday, college game days in Bozeman for Brawl the Wild. That was not the best attended Big Sky football game on Saturday. Now, it's because Bozeman, the, the stadium there only holds 19,000. But the Causeway Classic, the Sacramento State-UC Davis game to close the year, that had just under 23,000 people there, Dallas. Uh, Sacramento State's starting to get some fans there, so they have an actual environment. Like the whole thing's, the whole thing's turning around. It's a, it's just a damn success story that everyone in the Big Sky should be happy about. One, just because it's another good team, but two, if you're Idaho, which is in the process of turning attendance around, if you're a school like uh, Portland State's not not a good one, but like Northern Colorado, if you can, if that's a place that can ever turn around. Sacramento State's an, an example of, yeah, if you suck forever, it does take a little bit of time to get fans there. But Sac State has no history of being a relevant football program. They do not have campus life the way University of Idaho, University of Montana does because it's a commuter school. They can they can sell out or they can come. They essentially sold out the Causeway Classic. They have a larger stadium than Sac State probably wants, and they're averaging pretty good numbers for Sac State. They're just showing if you when teams win – you really can build build a program. Uh, Dallas, anything else you want to hit on with Sac State before moving on? Sac State is like the... I, I'm, I'm curious to see when we get to a point where people stop thinking like Sac State is a cool story and people are just ready for Sac State to suck again. That, that will come if Troy Taylor keeps doing this, and I'm really excited to see when that happens because right now I still look at Sac State like Portland State, like, Again, as a as a biased Vandal fan, I knew that the day would always come where Idaho would would find its footing in the big sky again. Just history was there, the resources are there, the facilities are there. It made sense. If you're a team like Portland State or you know one of the 300 people that care about that program, looking at what Sac State is doing right now is is what you have to strive for. Like there is a chance you can hire a coach that, I mean, realistically probably shouldn't be at Sacramento state. Like you said, Brian took a pay cut out of a power five school just to come here to be a head coach for the first time. If you're Portland state and you've got all these different challenges and all these issues, you, you can look at a school like this and say, look, it is possible to win. If you're not the Montana, Montana state, Weber state, like a little bit better funded, a little bit more supported programs than, than the Sacramento state and Portland state. of the world. Okay. I now feel the need to filibuster. We got, we got a comment from Ron Loney saying uh, 
that uh, I'll throw it on the, the screen right now. Loney says, uh, Sac State, when he says they didn't beat the Bobcats, the Bobcat Stadium holds 22,500, and there were more people with standing room only. So you're wrong. Okay, Ron. Let's, uh, I'm going to just say for a moment because I went to the Bobcats, uh, sport, the university, Montana State University's page where you'd be able to look up attendance, and there is not a link posted with a box score and attendance figures. For the sake of argument, Ron, I'm going to say, sure, you're right. The comparison is that Sac State UC Davis had pretty damn good attendance, similar to Brawl the Wild, which uh, pretty big deal in Sacramento for that to be the case. I mean, again, 2018, the team won one game. There's no tradition whatsoever. Big turnaround. Ron also followed up and said it's all about coaching, which you are right, dude. Uh, Dallas, to answer your question, I don't know if I'm ever going to want Sac State to not be good because I think they're one of those teams that look, there's no middle ground. Sac State's either going to have things humming or they are going to bottom out and be a dumpster fire again. And I don't want there to be a lot of shitty Big Sky teams as long as Idaho is in the Big Sky. We can close book on Sac State. Here's Let's go to a team that I think there's going to be a little bit more debate on because I think Montana State, we'll get there in a second. I don't think there's much to debate Montana State, but Dallas, Montana. Mont Montana makes the playoffs just like Sac State, but Sac State got to buy. Montana makes the playoffs, but look, the Grizz season does not go close to how it seemed like it would when Montana was rolling early based off of playing what us in the big sky would call a terrible schedule, but FCS wide, it actually wasn't considered a terrible schedule because the big sky is a good conference. And if you teams in the big sky and Missouri Valley will always have higher strength of schedules because they play themselves, but Montana season, you can pretty easily subdivide this when Mon right after Idaho, like heading into the Idaho game, things turned upside down for Montana. They head into Idaho five and zero with mostly blowout wins, maybe some warning signs from Idaho state. Then lost to Idaho, lost to Sac State, lost to Weber. They beat the shit out of Cal Poly and Eastern. Then a 55-21 embarrassment in Bozeman. But the Grizz get in probably is the last team in in the playoffs. How do you grade that? And, and hey, how do you grade it if they don't make the playoffs? So both. So I'm going to give this a C- minus just because they make the playoffs. If they did not make the playoffs with this, this is an F. Uh, and that might sound extreme, but this is Montana. If you, I mean, check the fan base. Half the fan base wants Bobby Houck to go even harder than they wanted Bob Stitt to go just a couple of years ago. Uh, things are not great over there in Missoula. Now, obviously, they're going to go probably pummel Southeast Missouri State because they got a home game because they've got more money than anybody else does at this level. Outside of that, this was not a season to be happy about, uh, and I and I completely understand it. Uh, again, from an Idaho standpoint, looking at a seven four as a, a your one of your really down years, I would be ecstatic with that. But when you look at how they played, I mean, again, the Idaho State score is closer than the game actually was. It was just a little bit of magic at the end there for Idaho State. But again, you let the worst team in the conference lose only by eight points. You go, you lose to Idaho, you lose to Sac State, you lose to Weber State, and all of a sudden your season's in jeopardy. You, yes, you you rebound with unfortunately terrible Cal Poly and unfortunately terrible Er Eastern Washington. I know they're not really, but just for the sake of looking at this schedule, then you get to Montana State and you get absolutely boat raced by your your big rival in a game that was was I mean is no it was fifty five twenty one in the final, but 
That game was over five minutes in. That game was a tire fire. If you're Montana, you're happy that you at least made the playoffs, I guess. Even though there's a bunch of people that aren't thrilled with that, you should make it to the second round. But that's, I mean, that's really all you've got. You you got out coached in multiple games. The 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 overwhelming uh, majority of talent wasn't there, like it seemed to be. It just it felt like this is maybe maybe not the crack in the armor as Montana starts to slip a little bit. But it is fair to raise the question: like, is this iteration of the Montana program going to get to where Montana fans expect them to be? I can't skip over the Montana State game. Uh, to, there, there's a ton of content covering Montana, Montana State, but the stat I just got a hit on is heading into the Montana, Montana State game. The Grizzlies were the best rushing defense in the big sky, both in yards per rush. They gave up 2.9 yards per rush at the time, and we're giving up right around 100 yards per game on the season. Well, yeah, yeah that didn't survive the, the Montana State game where Montana State – Jesus Christ, man. Montana State didn't even throw a pass until well into the second quarter. They rushed 65 times for only 439 yards and only five touchdowns, which shifted Montana from the number one rushing defense uh, per game to the, this is fucking wild, number five. In one week in conference, Dallas, they shifted from number one to number five. In yards per rush, Montana Look, Montana's tied for they're the second, just barely at 3.6 yards per rush, but they're giving up 2.9. So huge, huge turnover. Um, I'm gonna go. This to me is easily the hardest one to grade because, and I'm gonna go it's controversial, man. B minus. I say B minus because to me, I'm not grading on a curve. Montana did make the playoffs. Now, if Montana doesn't make the playoffs this season, is a you probably call us an F, uh, or at best a D. I, I'm going to go B minus because one there there's some reasonable asterisks. If Lucas Johnson does not go down, Montana against Sac State, Montana probably beats Sac State and Weber State. Those are both single score games with the shittiest backup in the. Uh, don't mean to put Chris Brown down. It's more I'm putting Bobby Hauk down for playing Chris Brown. Uh, the maybe worst backup in the Big Sky was the starter. Easily, clearly Bobby Hauk should have gone to to Dan, Danny Britt, but I guess that that's the hang up here is. Montana's not a bad team. They honestly have feeling. They remind me of Eastern uh, last year from two from 2019 when Eastern barely missed the playoffs. And what Eastern did is they just killed the teams that were lower because th there's talent on there was talent on Eastern then. There's talent on Montana now. That if you're not a good team, you're not going to compete. It's going to be ugly. But once once Montana's playing better teams, it levels out pretty damn fast. And on, honestly, it levels out faster than it should because look, Bobby Hauk, he needs a new OC. He definitely needs a new OC. He needs to completely turn that over to someone who is not him and someone who has not coached with him previously. Um, also, look, there's just some ways that Bobby Hauk is being, is him being stubborn and being rigid with routine is part of why he's good. But that is uh, hitting – I think that's hitting diminishing returns right now. Montana fan base is pretty touchy about how Bobby Howick is has been in Montana since 2018 and that the University of Montana still has a shit offensive line. How is that possible? Uh, Bobby Howick has been there since 2018, and honestly, Bobby Howick's teams with Bob Stitt's players offensively were radically superior to Bobby Howick's teams with his players there. Now, defensively, Montana's better, but – the sh the shift between the defense defense getting stronger and the offense getting weaker 
they're not that much different than what Bob Stid had. It's really not that it's not that different right now uh, with again, the asterisk of, you know, if Montana wins those two games, we're not talking about, you know, a, a D I mean, I, I say B minus cause they made I, Montana made the playoffs. And if you made the playoffs, you had a good season, even if you didn't quite hit expectations. Uh, but Montana, look, I think Montana needs a win this first round too, uh, because I, I think Montana still has something to salvage heading into next year. I think it might be on it or maybe it's best for Montana to lose and Bobby Hauk to get a wake up call. I don't, I don't know if he's able to get a wake up call because uh, the Bobby Hauk is not a bad coach at all. No, any school that has Bobby Hauk, the, that team in the FCS is going to be at least solid, but they're hitting real diminishing returns and, and Hauk has not been able to develop a quarterback at all since he's been there. It's uh he had a transfer in Dalton Sneed for two years then a transfer in Cam Humphrey for a year, then a transfer in Lucas Johnson for a year. They're like the backups don't look ready to contribute. I mean, just look at Idaho now as comparison. Idaho's got two freshmen right now who look like they could be good players. X been there for a year. One's a Petrino guy. One's an Eck guy who's in there, but that's Eck in one year. Look at what Troy Taylor did at Sacramento state. First got Kevin Thompson. He was gifted that then develop the Asher O'Hara, Jake Dunaway system for the two to complement each other. There are guys who are developing quarterbacks in this league. Bobby Houck has just serially been unable to do that. So uh, anything else you want to add to Montana, Dallas? Um, no, other than I would I would tell them uh, shots fired just from the Idaho fan base because, I mean, going into the fall, Giovanni McCoy, who is now a Jerry Rice Award finalist, was – what the fourth or fifth quarterback on Idaho's depth chart. And in this stretch from start of spring ball to the end of fall ball, Eck raised that quarterback from again, the depths of a roster that won four games the year before. So Bobby Houck, again, great coach, maybe not great coach, but you know what you're going to get with him. It's the, the ceiling might slowly be starting to lower as his age goes on. And he, it does not seem like he's going to have the, the Jay Hill wake up of it is time to turn the offense over to somebody that knows modern football. It does not feel like that's coming for Montana Grizz fans. So it's a bummer if that is the case. Well, bummer for them, I guess. Yeah. I, and I just don't know how to talk about Bobby Hawk without it being in paragraphs. Cause I mean, Dallas, you, you, you brought up reasonable points, reasonable takes Hauk is still one of the most successful coaches in the history of the Big Sky Conference. The only thing he does not have is a national championship. The Heading into this season, Montana made the final eight two consecutive years. If Montana doesn't have the injury issue, they're pro, they're if they're not seated, they're in the discussion. So the, it's not that it's not that rough. It's just that if you're Montana, you're not fine with hey we're pretty good we might get a seed montana wants to be on the same playing field as montana state and look hey ron loney in the comment section we're going to reward you in a second but uh montana's not at the level of montana state right now and that is to grizz fans that's unacceptable um i really hope i really hope for the conference montana can at least take one more developmental step because montana being very good is good for the big sky in my mind but it's a question mark, man. It's a question mark of whether whether Hauk can be flexible in a way that six again. Talk about Jason Eck and Troy Taylor. Troy Taylor, there's no way he wants he wanted a two quarterback system. It's what worked. 
Jason Eck, he has he openly said when he came over to Idaho, look, he doesn't have a system. He's going to match the system to the players. That's how that's how it works today. That's that's how people are successful outside of football too. Yeah, Bobby Houck is the opposite. Bobby Houck is man, I got a system and it works if you do your role. Well, we're going to see. Uh, we're going to see because uh, the trajectory is clearly up after Bob Stitt, but there's some stuff that he's just not doing. And until he does it, it Montana's honestly might be in the same discussion that Eastern was again last couple of years of, you know, for Eastern with their best had been until this year, they were good, but a step below, but what they'd been with Baldwin and they were just settling in a new level of good, but not great. Um, if Montana can't turn a couple things around, that's who they are. And I, I guess if Montana is not the University of Montana, let's say they're Weber State, the tone of the discussion is it's probably not this fatalistic, but Montana builds builds himself out as something different than the rest of the conference. And if they're gonna keep if they're gonna try to keep doing that, their fan base wants to keep doing that, something's gotta change. Or well, I mean, honestly, if something doesn't change, every other fan base is going to force something to change. But let's let's reward Ron Loney in the comment section. Jump to Montana State, Dallas. You've been on the shelf. I think there's only one grade even fry over with Montana State. I mean, the Montana State is a tough one, to, to be completely honest, to grade them. Because I look at it as, are you looking at their grade before the bracket came out or the grade bef after the bracket came out? Because... If you think about their season before the bracket came out, you can't give this anything other than an A. I mean, you could you could say it's not an A plus because they they lost to an FBS school that was occasionally ranked this year, um, and no shame in that. But then Montana State may or may not have gotten jobbed with their seeding, and what was looking like, hey, there's maybe a a, a nice pathway here to go back to back national championship games. That road got a whole lot harder when you got the four seed instead of thinking, hey, hopefully we got the three. Even just that, that one change, that, that is a kick in the nuts. Uh, I'm going to go with an A because I'm afraid of what Ron is going to tell me if I don't give them an A. Uh, but I do think I, I do think there are a handful of Bobcat fans that are not particularly thrilled about how their seed lighten up. You mean every Bobcat fan is not thrilled about how their seed lined up? Um, and honestly, it's not just the number being the four seed instead of the three seed. It's that Montana State is probably going to draw Weber State in the second round of the playoffs, their first round, which, I mean, honestly, like Idaho, I think if Idaho wins, Idaho has a better week two matchup than Montana State. It'll be on the road. But my actual grade on the season, dude, there's nothing, nothing but an A. For Montana State. Yeah, Bobcats are undefeated in FCS play. Uh, only losses to Oregon State, who's a solid Pac-12 team. Um, the Bobcats also navigated injuries this year in a way that was pretty dang impressive. I mean, look, for a stretch earlier in the year, Montana State was down to like their fourth or fifth string running back. Uh, Tommy Malott, quarterback, went down with injury. Then Sean Chambers, who looks like – Sean Chambers is a Wyoming transfer – Tommy Malad is a uh, homegrown Montana dude. Um, Sean Chambers is very similar to Tommy Malad. Honestly, I think Sean Chambers is a little bit better than Tommy Malad, but just with the makeup of the team, Malad's going to continue to be the starting quarterback. Chambers was leading the big sky in rushing touchdowns even after having to sit out like three or 
three or four games for injury. Let's look at the big sky season touchdown leaders. Yeah, Sean Chambers missed a couple games in big sky play and still rushed for 10, 10 touchdowns. Uh, dude's incredible. Brent Vegan looks like a kick-ass hire as a coach, which maybe Vegan is a great example for the state of Montana to remember take a Xanax after the Montana-Montana State game. Because last year, when Montana State, when Montana beat the shit out of Montana State, everything I heard was, hey, vegans, Rob Ash 2.0. Hey, vegans, Rob Ash 2.0. Well, first off, Ash, Rob Ash was not a bad coach. But second, it was one game. Uh, Montana State made the final that year. And this year, Montana State looked in minus injuries. They looked invincible. Uh, th this is an, a team that led the big sky in, in rushing on the season, but in, I got to stress with how, how impressive Montana state averaging 347 rushing yards per game in conference was when the Bobcats only threw for 180 yards at all per game. Also like everyone knew Montana state was going to run most plays and no one could stop them at all. That, that was just it. That was the season. Even their close game against Weber state, the Bobcats still scored uh, four, it's 43, right? Dallas. Yeah, yeah, 43. The 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 closest Big Sky game Montana State played, well, two close games. There's Eastern early, they won 38-35, then Weber State later, 43-38. In the close game against a strong defensive team, Montana State scored 43. That's with injury issues. Then you look at the brawl game. Vegans, Vegans team is doing exactly what you'd hope they were. They're being creative as hell with running the ball. Both Malott and Chambers are sharing the field against Montana, which means, hey, trick plays are, are on the table. There's two guys who can pass easily well enough, plus they're great rushers. Uh, man, Vegan's picked up. Vegan's taken this program a step beyond what it was with Jeff showed, and th it's really impressive to me. Um, I personally do not like Montana State that much. Uh, not a put-down, just I grew up in a Grizz household, so that's where I am. But, man, these dudes are good. I mean, honestly, Dallas, if Sac State and Montana State played, let's pretend the Big Sky had a uh, conference championship game. Who would you pick? I would have picked Montana State. I'd pick Montana State, too. And I and I don't think I would have picked it particularly close. I think I would have picked Montana State to beat them by two touchdowns. No, you and I learned, or I learned. That, did, did we both pick Montana over Montana State last week? No, I definitely picked Montana State last week. Okay, I picked Montana. I've learned. I've learned, man. No, I... Uh, to just quickly filibuster because you brought up Sean Chambers for a very small portion of time. Sean Chambers missed two games and still came in third in total points scored in the big sky. He averaged 11.3 points a game. If he plays a full season, he's the runaway player of the year. Uh, on, absolutely incredible in the, again, in the, the, the time that he was able to play. Absolutely incredible. I Montana State's for real, man. Yeah, I don't have anything else to add. They're, they're just an A or an A+. Plus and I don't care which. The two, two consecutive years of being great with the new coach. They were good with Choate heading into that. This is just a program. It's a program on the rise. Man, um, I don't have much else to add other than I think Idaho. Look, let's talk the Idaho angle for like two seconds. Yeah, Idaho probably lucked out not having to play Montana State this year. That probably helped. And I'm not going to complain about that. Uh, we've hit... We, now we have to hit Weber State. That's the final playoff team we haven't talked about, Dallas. Weber State doesn't quite get a seed. Uh, the Wildcats finish. Wildcats finish. Man, I had the – forgive me, guys, dude. I uh, had, this, had this shit up. Now I have to filibuster to get the record up. The fin Wildcats finish 9-2. and two. two total losses on the year. 
at Montana State and versus Sacramento State, five-point loss at Montana State, three-point loss at home against Sacramento State. That's it. Everything else was a convincing win, minus that weird NAU scare, but still, whatever. Uh, two losses to two seeded football teams. Uh, offensively, for the first half of the season, Weber State looked like they took a step forward. It's, it's been regressing in the second half of the year. Uh, but Weber also gets this weird setup where they're awarded the home game by the FCS playoff committee, even though they did not have the larger bid over North Dakota. Uh, so I, I know that is a some like tacit way of trying to acknowledge Weber State. I don't know, should have been top eight or something like that, but they're not or they're trying to acknowledge Weber's number nine. Uh, whatever FCS playoff committee, just get that shit together. But great on the season, Dallas. I mean... <laughs> This is this one to me is the hardest grade uh, because as as much as I want to reward them for Mickey Mantle and Jay Hill finally figuring out if you hand the offense to somebody who knows what they're doing, all of a sudden you're scoring 35.8 points a game and you have a top five offense in the conference. That should be terrifying. Uh, obviously, they're still one of the best defenses around, led the league in scoring uh, defensively, but you have to be really disappointed if you're a Weber fan. Uh, the I know that again, five point loss to Montana State, three point loss to Sac State. Like those are not bad losses by any means, and you're not sitting here thinking like, "Well, if we could have just gotten that game." Northern Arizona's the rivalry game, and I know that that stuff gets weird. But I look at that and think, if they would have gone out there and blown NAU apart, which it's is very tough to do in Flagstaff. Not a whole lot of teams do that. If they don't barely sneak past that game are they seeded like i know that they get the home game but then they run right back into montana state and while they're probably not as upset about that as most montana state fans are it that feels like just a slap in the face that you you could have had so much more there was a hope and dream for getting a seed and and at least making a little bit easier path for yourselves and instead here you get north dakota who is a a good team they're not uh I, I wouldn't pick them uh certainly not on a neutral field and certainly not at home uh for weber but then if you get past that game you run right into montana state that sucks like that absolutely sucks for a season that you might have thought you had a an outside shot at doing some something in the playoffs you're gonna run into montana state like, good luck so i'm gonna give i'm gonna give weber state a b plus only because for all the the the, the progress they made with their offense they just didn't get it done in the end to get what they what they really wanted. I need to help justify your grade, Dallas. Because I'm pretty close to there too. Weber, I want to give Weber some version of an A, but I'm going to sit on B plus. And offensively, the first half of the season, especially at a at a conference, Weber looked a lot better. Dallas, uh, I'm looking at conference stats. I know you don't look at conference stats, but I do, and I'm talking. So uh what where do you think Weber State finished total offense on the season in the Big Sky? 12 teams. It depends because I know that they finished fifth in scoring in the so do you mean in yardage? Yeah, total offense. Uh total offense yardage, we're gonna go with seventh. Tenth. Ooh. Ooh. Weber finished below Montana in total offense. Ooh. And scoring, scoring the Wildcats finished sixth, which look what matters more is, of course, scoring. And Weber State is a team that's famous for getting points in special teams and points from their defense. So not trying to pretend that part does not exist. But 
some of the uh, the offensive steps that we saw early in the season, they just weren't there at the close of the season. Weaver State guys, we we stay close with. We're again frustrated with Weaver State offense to close out the year, uh, especially in that NAU game. And even though again Weaver State scored thirty three in that game, that's not a terrible outing. It's more that it feels like Weber should be because we saw it early in the year. We feel like Weber should be able to do more and to close the year. The Wildcats just didn't the defensively. They're still, still essentially uh, elite. You know, that Weber had the number two total defense, gave up 322 yards, gave up the fewest touchdowns on the season in 19 uh, scoring defense. Weber's number two at uh, giving up 21.9 points per game. Uh, that was also uh, on a schedule that included, uh, look, Weber State. I mean, who'd they dodge? Idaho? I think, yeah, because Weber State, Weber can't play themselves. So, yeah, Weber didn't dodge Montana, Montana State, or Sacramento State. So that those de- defensive numbers like that are impressive. But still, it just, it's a rebound year for the Wildcats, you know, not making the playoffs last year. They've reestablished themselves for sure as a very good team. Uh, but I feel like they're still they're a step below what the Wildcats were in the last, you know, in 2019, you know, pre pre COVID time. And like weirdly, what does Weber State honestly miss Jake Constantine? I know like we're three years out at this point, and there's like four people in the world who even get that joke. But look, I mean, the Wildcats, they're there's some offensive stuff that just it's frustrating that it doesn't, it didn't click in the second half of the season. Ron Loney in there saying their offense is regressing because he's right. Um, but again, like to be fair, Weber had a very good season. You know, we're Idaho fans. If Idaho had the same season Weber had, we'd be giddy. Idaho had close to the same season Weber had, but not quite. And, you know, it, as Vandals, we'd be, we would love to have that. Most of the Big Sky would love to have that. Hey, University of Montana wouldn't mind having a season like Weber State had. Uh, so I don't know, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess B plus B plus sounds fine to me. Uh, any, any, I mean, Ty McPherson, one of the better receivers in the league, you know, curious what kind of numbers that dude would put up if he was on a, if he played somewhere else, you know, the Wildcats for sure can run the ball. And uh, like they, one of the weird stories or like disappointing stories of the season for Weber is that um, Josh Davis due to injuries just does not look like he was the same guy who was the Jerry, Jerry Rice award winner as a freshman. But hey, uh, Dante McMillan looking fine in place, averaging 6.4 yards per carry, five touchdowns, 80 yards per game, which isn't to say Davis had like a terrible season. It's just he, he's, had, he's had serious injury issues, and that, that wears on you when, you when that happens three years in a row. Anything else you want to talk about, Weber State? No, I just – I again, I think B, B plus for me, uh, but – only be uh, to me again it's only because of just the way that the you got shafted by the or maybe not maybe not shafted like montana state got shafted but you didn't quite get the draw you were hoping for um just remembering back to last year when they they lost to portland state and put up only 18 points um i know that they they lost close to to uc davis uh last year and then they only beat them close this year but it just it felt to me like a little bit a little bit had changed from last year's team. Last year's team to me felt like the end of the Weber State era. And I thought, I truly thought, and I, I apologize to, to Colby and the rest of the Weber State weekly crew that, that we know, I truly thought that that we were going to see 
either Jay Hill leave or Weber State start falling apart. Uh, I just I, it felt like Hill hadn't figured it out. The offense, I, I know that the offense, there's still complaints, but I would take this year's Weber State team over the 21 team in a heartbeat. And their coaching staff, I thought, was also improved. And if I'm Weber, I've got to be happy about that. And, and that's where I, that's where I'm thinking B plus. Yeah, Patty Furks in the comments section saying we were, Weber played damn near toughest possible conference schedule behind Eastern, which hey, he is right. Look, Weber beat UC Davis, and Davis did not make the playoffs. We might talk about Davis. I say might because we're 45 minutes in. We're, there's some teams we're not going to talk about that much, clearly. But, uh, yeah, Weber had a tough schedule, finished pretty damn good. So maybe I'm wrong with uh, what my grade is, but not like I – it's hard to talk about Weber without this. There's like this 10, let's call it 11% to justify the grade. 11% underwhelming, 89%. Look, there's a lot of good stuff there. It's clearly a good team. So not trying to give them a shitty grade, but I don't know. I feel like Weber State fans themselves probably feel the same way as in their, they're kind of, you know, Weber's probably not going to make the fi- a final four this season or final eight this season, Yeah, which is in uh 2019 yeah 2019 that was when Weber State made a final four they beat Montana to get into the last four seemed like maybe the Wildcats had finally taken that that step into like the elite not just nationally very good but nationally elite mm-hmm. and clearly that's not what happened it was just a very good year it was a just historically good year for yep. Weber a historically good year for a lot of programs that the Wildcats have not and I'm going to say here will not repeat this year yeah, exactly. I mean, the I think we've definitely seen that that was just an anomaly. Uh, but at the same point, I feel like you've got to be pretty happy with if if you came off of that season last year barely being above five hundred, and you were told fringe seed next season. I would I would feel like the Weber State guys have to be pretty happy with that. We're gonna take a hard right turn, and we're gonna hit <laughs> hit a couple of awards. Yeah, well, we're not gonna explain that joke, but um. Yeah, a couple of awards from the Big Sky Podcast Network and then land on a discussion point. So a Offensive Player of the Year as voted on by Big Sky Podcast Network contributors and beat reporters was Cameron Scadaboo, Sacramento State, which that was it wasn't really close that Scadaboo got the award. I will throw an asterisk that if either Tommy Malott or Sean Chambers don't miss games for injury, I think it's a little bit more of a discussion, uh, but like Scadaboo leads leads the league in rush. Well, actually, he's second in Russia in conference play in rushing yards per game at 115.6, 115.1, just below Yolanzo Gilliam. Uh, rushed for three touchdowns, but I guess it was more than also his presence in the passing game. And maybe what's wild about Scadaboo, uh, seven yards for rush was a huge deal, too. Um, Asher O'Hara stole a ton of his touchdowns. That if if Asher O'Hare is not on that team, uh, Scadaboo probably rushes for about twelve touchdowns. Um, but Scadaboo also has some of the most just physically impressive plays this season. It, if you saw his highlights, because man, the guy absolutely just runs over people. He's a he's a sophomore. Is he a sophomore or COVID freshman, Dallas? No, he's a sophomore. Yeah, sophomore because he he didn't sack didn't play COVID year. Yeah, he's a sophomore. Real good running back, dude, that anyone would want to have on their team. Yeah, Ron Lowney in comment section. He's a physical back. Damn right he is. Uh, gives Like I have sometimes visceral reactions watching Scadaboo. He just doesn't go out of bounds. 
he it's an old school kind of thing. He does he doesn't care about taking extra hits. And honestly, he's probably probably trying to make linebackers and corners feel feel like they're taking hits on the way down. Uh, not really close. Uh, the voting number two is Hayden Hatton wide receiver for university of Idaho set school record with 15 touchdown receptions really took off in the second half of the season. Uh, took a little bit of time to get things rolling, but Hey, first, first year head coach, new offensive coordinator. There's going to be some things to iron oh, out and don't forget Hatton hardly played last season. Right. Yeah. Hadn't, hadn't essentially set out the entire season with injury issue. So uh, yeah, those are a top two. That's how I voted Dallas. Uh, well, anything you want to add on those two? Uh, I do want to shout out Ulonzo Gilliam. I think if UC Davis had another win or maybe another two wins, I feel like he probably would have won this award. Uh, he only had 71 yards less than Scadaboo on the whole season. Uh, considerably more touchdowns than Scadaboo did, but he was also, I mean, much more of a focal point. Obviously, Scadaboo has Asher O'Hara running around next to him half the time. Gilliam is, is the only presence in the running game over there. I know that Land Larson's decent, but uh, I think Ulonzo Gilliam probably would have had a little bit more of the voting uh, if UC Davis had just done a little bit more. And, and they had a they had a tough schedule. They did what they could, and they're just short in the end. But I don't see any problem with Scadaboo Hatton as one two, and then you assume you say Gilliam's the honorable mention. That's pretty spot on for what this season was. Yeah, wild thing. Gilliam didn't get a single first or second place vote from our beat reporters or big sky podcast network contributors. Just, I'm, and I'm going to blame it. We purposely did the voting early so that I wanted to do awards before the end of the season, but then life got in the way. So here we are. Um, Asher O'Hara rushed for 13 touchdowns for Sacramento state. So yeah, if Scadaboo is in the backfield alone, he, he's probably rushing for about 15 touchdowns. Um, Real impressive. I mean, look, there's a ton of guys who had kick-ass seasons. Weirdly, just a weird development that we can talk about for like a minute, Dallas. It's virtually all skill position players. The the see the the quarterback talent in the big sky has shifted quite a lot over the last three seasons. Now I know some teams stylistically are changing where like defenses in the big sky are getting better. I'm not sold on uh big sky teams needing to be able to rush as in like part of their identity. I think just the talent wave right now is that teams are getting stronger on the offensive line. A lot of schools don't have as good quarterbacks, but they do have strong running backs pair that with good offensive lines. Like, you know, Montana state, for example, I don't think Montana state's trying to recruit quarterbacks who don't throw that well. Uh, it's just what's happening right now. Uh, but no quarterback uh, really in the discussion whatsoever for uh, first offensive player of the year or, uh, offensive player of the year runner up uh, defensive player of the year. This was a runaway uh, Patrick O'Connell for, for Montana ignore the few losses. Cause look, Montana minus the last week of the season, they kicked ass defensively. The, the offense is what let Montana down this season. Patrick O'Connell was absolutely electric on, on the edge for a ton of this season. Uh, the, Dallas, I mean, you have the actual stats. Yeah. I'll, I'll Patrick O'Connell missed two games and still led the league in tackles for loss and in sacks. Uh, he tied with uh, Cosmos Coetti in at Northern Arizona with 13 uh, tackles for loss apiece. And he had a, a half sack less, excuse me, a half sack more than Sebastian Valdez at Montana State. So O'Connell with 13 and eight there. And then uh, in the tackles, I, he didn't, he definitely didn't lead in tackles. Again, he missed two games and you're also an edge rusher. You don't, you don't pack up as many tackles, but 
to play nine of 11 games and still lead the league in tackles for loss and sacks. That is a runaway. Absolutely. He's the best player on the one of the best defenses. If, if you don't want to say the best defense in the league, I won't, I won't hold anybody against that. I think that Montana's defensive numbers are gently artiflated uh, or gently inflated. Oh boy. It's getting late tonight, Brian. Gen. Uh, just gently inflated ever so much because their offense couldn't keep the ball on the field. I, I think that that does a little bit of damage to your overall stats, but I couldn't, I couldn't argue O'Connell. I'm assuming O'Connell got every first place vote. O'Connell. Let's look at it. Let's uh, go to the tally. Uh, no, he did not quite get every first place vote. Our runner up picked up a few first place votes. Uh, Maxwell Anderson out of Weber State, who Dallas, again, you did the work on stats. I'm going to throw it to you. Weber uh, State enough. is known as D- Defensive Back University. And um, actually, Maxwell's conference, non-conference splits are wild because conference teams figured out to just quit throwing towards him. But again, you did the actual work here on Maxwell Anderson, so you take it away. Yeah, so keep keep that in mind here. As I read off his numbers, um, teams did stop throwing to him. Uh, they just went to the other side of the field. Maxwell Anderson in 11 games, and again, is big sky big sky stats not quite as reflective of this across the whole season he led the league in picks with five he also had nine pass breakups so he led the league in defense passes with 14 uh dylan wyatt from cal poly with 13 marcus harris at idaho with 12 so uh, and marcus harris was i think the brightest spot on the vandal defense this year uh so you're talking about guys that were making impacts and and maxwell anderson put a much bigger impact out there. Very, very deserving of some first place votes. I still think O'Connell's the guy, but Maxwell Anderson, not a bad number two. And now let's get to the, uh, the transition. We already brought up the story of the year and the season was voted on was Idaho and Idaho and with that, their turnaround. The only other story receiving votes was Sacramento state continuing the run of finishing atop the league. Montana state at some point is going to be joining that like second tier discussion we got to get to the worst story of the season and our voting is split. And I think it really depends on how you choose to say what you think matters the most in the big sky. Our options are the, the, look, the top two worst stories in the league, the Northern Colorado dumpster fire and Ed McCaffrey and his, uh, his honestly worse than we even realized run of nepotism if reports are correct that McCaffrey was letting his son Dylan sit in on coaches only meetings and no other player was allowed to that is predictable uh the other story was eastern Washington yeah Dallas has the headline there Aaron best of the worst um eastern Washington how are they going to handle their rebuilding year yes they had a rough schedule but eastern was terrible this year won two conference games only had one convincing win, three wins on season, only one convincing one the entire year. Dallas, which direction do you go of which was the worst actual story for the big sky? Oh, Ed McCaffrey, without without question. Unless Eastern struggles again next year, um, Eastern has down years every once in a while, but they've gone almost 20 years without missing the playoffs back-to-back years. This happens from time to time. When Vernon Adams left and they replaced him with Jordan West, the former walk-on who had a handful of great games to start the year. And then by the end of the year, he'd been replaced by Gage Gubrud because he'd completely fallen apart. I'm going to give Aaron best one pass just because they did also play about the worst schedule possible. 
to me, it is Ed McCaffrey, or excuse me, the fire Ed McCaffrey, because that guy was one of the worst coaches we've ever seen at any level of football, much less this level. Holy piss. It is a good thing for the big sky that that guy is out. It also, it also means that there is a, at least one school that has some semblance of regularity to it and realizes if your coach is throwing your players under the bus, if your coach is treating his own family members that are on the team so much better than everybody else on the team, if he's got absolutely no results to back it up and he has zero accountability for anything he does, it's probably time to fire his ass. So props to Northern Colorado for finally pulling the trigger there. But the last two years there, man, the excitement that they probably thought they were going to get from let's hire this former Broncos legend to try to bring some momentum back to this program. Did they get anything worthwhile out of that? Or is this just two years that they completely pissed away, Brian? For, for Northern Colorado, man, of, of course this was two years pissed away. I mean, this was a really in-your-face ugly story this year that, hey, I'm going to blame Tubbs at the club for trying to make sure there was some light on Northern Colorado and like the nepotism dumpster fire that was going on there uh, because, the honestly, I, I don't know who else was giving much attention to the in-your-face nepotism. Uh, us at Idaho have certainly had our experience with that. But, look, Northern Colorado... Honestly, Ed McCaffrey's comments, what which which week was that? That was after Montana State when Nor Northern Colorado lost. Um, don't quote me on this, Dallas. I think it was 763 to 2. And uh it was 58 to 10, but that was a very close second guess. Yes, yeah, sorry, 58 to 10. And Ed McCaffrey was asked about Dylan. And look, Ed, Ed just did make a reasonable point that look, Dylan's not on the defensive side of the ball. But essentially, Ed McCaffrey has been going to the Zach Kloss School of Accountability but during his time in Northern Colorado. It seems that every issue is the fault of someone else other than the McCaffreys. And weirdly, you know, Ed hired his 28-year-old fail son, Max, as offensive coordinator last season 20, in 2021. Northern Colorado scores 12 touchdowns in Big Sky Play, and of course, Max McCaffrey has his job back. Honestly, the most effective member of that family or that uh, extended family is Max's girlfriend was the director of football operations, which is an ugly look. But hey, maybe she was the most effective. Maybe she was the best employee out of all the McCaffreys or you know, players on scholarship there. It's not like she um, could have been a whole lot worse. Yeah, uh, this was a black mark for the big sky. Uh, Northern Colorado did take a shot in the dark with a like a sexy hire at the time. And I look, there was re there was enthusiasm early on, but. It was just a name and McCaffrey had no experience outside of coaching at a high school powerhouse. He clearly never took the big sky seriously. And I'm glad Northern Colorado showed him the door and decided, look, it's no, it's no longer time to take him seriously. Yes. Ed McCaffrey was shit can today. And it's a great, great news for the big sky. Um, I honestly think Eastern is the worst story. Be, and it's, it's not like the worst in your face story. Because uh, Northern Colorado, like the, it's there's a visceral reaction people should have because when when people sense there's something not fair or not meritocratic about sports, it loses legitimacy. And the moment a coach loses legitimacy as the head of the program, it's done. And the guy, the, the cord should be cut immediately. Kudos to Northern Colorado for not letting this drag out a few years like Idaho did. 
but Eastern, man, I'm concerned about Eastern Dallas. Eastern fell off a cliff this season. And yes, they had a tough schedule, but they got their asses kicked in all but that Montana State game when and Montana State look if, if Eastern played Montana State late in the season, uh, I don't think it's going to be a three-point game. Uh, East Eastern also, I, you know, I said earlier that the Eagles had a single convincing win on the season. I really mean it. The Eagles had one convincing win all year. It was their it was the final week of the season when Eastern played a lot of backups, beating Northern Colorado 45-21. Look at their other wins. Narrowly beating a very shitty Tennessee State team 36-29. Needed a big sky player of the week effort from Gunnar Talkington to, to get that seven-point win. And then Cal Poly, Eastern wins 17-10. They were just bad. That was it. Eastern just completely fell off a cliff. And I'm concerned for the Eags because that program has been strong for 20 years and they just don't have the infrastructure, I think, and they don't have the facilities, I think, to not have a real good environment and to not have positive momentum as part of their recruiting pitch. This is not a rebound year like Bo Baldwin had. Bo Baldwin had six and five seasons as rebound years. Look, even Aaron Best after the 2018 season, his rebound year was seven and four, and they just barely missed the playoffs. Or no, they're six and five and barely missed the playoffs, but they had a better resume than, than North Dakota, who made the playoffs. So look, those are there, there's reason to be to be keeping an extra eye on Eastern Washington because I, I'm a little bit concerned that Eastern has the dynamic of Idaho back in the FBS, where for Idaho and the FBS, the margin for error was very slim. And if the bottom fell out, it's, it's going to be a decade or you know, decade and a half to even try and turn or half a decade to turn it around. I don't think Eastern has a lot of middle ground. Like the benefit for Eastern is there's a couple of really shitty programs right now that will give the Eagles a couple wins. But uh, this is a huge step back, man. Eastern was on a, a downward trajectory anyway, after that 2018 uh, national runner up finish with, with Eric Berry last season, and the, honestly, one of the best receivers in the entire nation, Lolo Talimu Jones, who if that dude had hands, he would have been the, the, the SEC. Eastern made the second round of the playoffs. Lost a lot of guys who were super COVID seniors who just didn't leave because to Aaron Best's credit, he has maintained a culture that a lot of Eagles like being a part of. But uh, look, you think Eastern is going to be picked for any sort of rebound season next year? I don't. I think they might, might be middle of the conference preseason next year, but unless there's some talent that best for some reason decided to keep on the, on the shelf all year. No, man, I, I'm, I think we, we sound the alarm. I, I'm not going to sound the alarm yet because their schedule is better next year. Uh, and I think that Kiko Vesperis is going to change that program. Uh, only because I've seen this happen before, uh, I know that Bo Baldwin down the, his most recent down season was six and five, but they trotted out a, a senior that they honestly, they had no business starting. Um, Jordan West was a great kid. Should probably never have seen the field. Gage Gubrud probably should have played that whole year. They probably should have just stumbled through it. Let him crash and burn a couple times and see what he can do next year. And then, you know, for them, obviously that's what happened at the end of the year. And then Gubrud came out of nowhere and was incredible, but, Eastern has been known for having very good quarterback play. And in a year of very bad quarterback play across the big sky, where just nobody stood out. 
Gunnar Talkington, could you tell me what his stats are without having to look him up? Could you could you tell me how he did just relative to the rest of the conference? Guess I would put him. I would guess like total yards. He was top three. I wasn't expecting you to have an answer for that so fast. Uh, he was second in the conference in in touchdowns in yards. He was fourth, so he was he was among the top guys. But in, again, in a year that quarterback play wasn't particularly phenomenal in the Big Sky. Eastern's guy is a is a top three to five statistical quarterback. And then that's that's not what this program does. Now, if Kiko Vesperis is not the guy next year, or they don't have a guy, say they don't get a transfer coming in that changes that program, then yes, sound the alarms. But their schedule is much easier next year. Just looking at it, they go to at they go to Idaho State, they go to Portland State, they have Cal Poly, they have NAU. Both of those are at home. If you think you can win all four of those games, if if Eastern recovers at all a little bit to what they've been historically, there's four of the wins you need. Uh, you've got Southeastern Louisiana, who I think you'll be favored in because that's a home game. So let's say you win those five. got to find two wins on the rest of the schedule. I do think that's possible. I don't think that this is time to panic just yet. Because the other thing is, if I'm wrong and if Aaron Best completely bombs next year, I have no sourcing to back this up. I used to I used to know people at Eastern. I don't anymore. So I, I promise I'm not saying this with any sort of belief or anything that's been influenced by anybody. It would not shock me to see Bo Baldwin come back to that program in 2024. And if Bo Baldwin comes back to that program in 2024, much like Bobby Houck returned to Montana, I think that Eastern at least gets back to what Montana's level is right now of consistent playoff contender, maybe not a national championship kind of place. I, I don't see any reason to panic just yet for Eastern. Well, here's the reason I'm going to say to panic, which we have not yet talked about, which, which if Vesperis is the guy, why in God's name did he not play against some of the shittier teams like Portland State and Cal Poly? Like, if that's the case, what? Maybe you, I mean, I guess that'd be an Aaron Best ego thing. If like, hey, Gunnar Talkington was part of the team, we're going to reward him with the season. Okay, sure, whatever. You you get to do that, but it seems like a mistake in my mind, and I think the wins and losses aren't going to uh, be on Aaron Best's side here. Defensively, Eastern is as bad or worse than Cal Poly. That's a huge deal. That's not an Eric Berrier issue. That's not a Kiko Vesperis issue. That's a defensive talent issue. Eastern gave up 289 rushing yards per game. Definitely worst in the league. Not really close. Look, Cal Poly was... was terrible uh like freakishly bad uh, i mean on both sides on both secondary and rushing defensive wise but cal poly was so bad with their de defensive talent that that team looked like a d2 or maybe d3 school in the in the big sky yeah eastern was worse against against the ground game gave up 34 touchdowns 6.1 yards per rushes on the season uh let me shift over to conference stats to, to have this bit to, so I can have the actual comparison against the rest of the conference, maybe a little better. Cause I don't think, don't think it gets better. Uh, I hate the big guys page so much with how it loads, but yeah, rushing defense, Eastern 294 yards per game in conference gives up 24 touchdowns. So right on right at the same level of Cal Poly. That's part of why I'm concerned. It's like, if it doesn't matter how good Eastern's offense is, if they're going to purge rushing yards like that against this version, the big sky right now, they need to only play shitty teams and, that's about it. And that's an entirely fair point. Um, I I guess I've never thought of Eastern as a particularly good defensive team. I've always thought of Eastern as a 
we're going to try to score 50 points a game and we're going to hope for one single turnover. I have, uh, from even the Bo Baldwin years, I've always pictured Eastern that way. So I have viewed it as if they can nail the quarterback spot next year, even if their defense is as bad as they've been, they're going to be in a shootout every single week. And that's, that's kind of the Eastern way. You're right. It's the Eastern way, but, uh, they're going to have to score a lot of touchdowns, man. Uh, if they're, if they're going to be flirting with competitive, if they're going to be like this against the better teams they are going to have to like, maybe you're right. And that rebound where they beat the shit out of the terrible teams and then just kind of face plant against the better teams is that next step that maybe I shouldn't be as concerned about. I guess that's the overall health of the program I think of. And just the in your face drop off that uh, Eastern showed this year. We're at an hour and eight minutes in. So let's just slam through a couple other grades is there any is there any team that you really want to spend much time talking about grade wise that's left over? I mean, I think we've given Eastern Washington and Northern Colorado both F's. I think that's pretty safe to say for both of those teams. It just it, it can't be anything other than an F. Um, what what about UC Davis? What is the grade you would give to UC Davis this year? That's about the one the one left on here that is in, most intriguing to me because everybody else is a D or an F to me. UC Davis is uh, that that to me is a tough one. Look, they're going to they're going to lose Elonzo Gillian for next year. Of course, they did not lose the league's leading rusher this year. Davis finishes six and five just outside the playoffs. Probably C plus. I think C plus is fair. I mean, I think look, I think Davis it's fair for Davis to think they got screwed by not making the playoffs when Montana did. However, Davis was a bubble team. We all know there's variability baked in to sports. That's why you and I don't bitch that much about like a single bad call in a game because there's variability in officiating. That's a fact of sports. If you get your team to just barely on the bubble, hey, sometimes it's going to work out, sometimes it's not. And for Davis, it did not work out this year. Um, You know, I think Davis established themselves as clearly – a good team. They, they beat the shit out of Idaho. Like they, 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 they really looked like they were a Sac state level team against Idaho. And then Davis went and competed against Sac state the next week. Uh, Davis just kind of showed that look, they, they had three early losses at South Dakota state, 24, 22 versus Weber state, 17, 12 at Montana state, 21, 24. After that rough, first half of the season Davis got to build momentum with running through like the five shittiest teams in the league and they ironed out a lot of their problems and honestly I I expect if Davis and Weber played late instead of early Davis probably wins that game but Davis Uh, didn't win when they played I do want to correct you there very quickly 41-24 was the score against Montana State they did get they did get blown apart by Montana State pretty my bad 41-24 forgive me forgive me for the verbal typo there but there were two two close games against good playoff teams. They got their ass kicked against Montana State, then ran through the shittiest teams in the conference. By the after that, beat Idaho convincingly, and had a single score loss against Sacramento State. That's a good football team. Uh, scheduling gods maybe didn't didn't work in their favor, but look, you don't you don't get to manip- manipulate your schedule to only play teams when you're playing well. Montana played teams when they were not playing mm-hmm. well. They picked up losses. That's this is just what happens. So, uh, I, th- uh, yeah, I'd say Davis, I don't know, C plus, I think they established themselves They're They're here. They're not elite, but they're, they're good. You need to expect them to continue to be good. 
I if I was grading this impartially, I would give this season a B. Uh, because I think I think they did just about what they were expected to do. Um, but they they finished a little bit stronger at the end of the year and and gave themselves a shot at the playoffs. Uh, but if you look at their schedule, if you went into the this schedule looking at it before the season, six and five is about what you would have scratched off. You'd expect them to lose to Cal, obviously, FBS school. You'd expect them to lose to South Dakota State on the road. Um, they made it very close, but it's a loss you probably could have expected at the beginning of the year. They blow out San Diego State, and then, like you said, you, you go through the Weber State, Montana State stretch. You blow out all of the bad teams, and then you you lose a heartbreaker on the road to your opponent, to your biggest rival when you're trying to, to make the playoffs. Realistically, if you look at this schedule, this lined up about probably what you'd expect. You you blow out all the bad teams. You hope to go two and one against the best teams in the conference so you can get into the playoffs. You went one and two, but you I mean you you had your rival with a shot to do it at the end. And I'd give him probably I guess B minus probably. I I couldn't be too de- too devastated if if I had flipped shoes with Idaho. Let's say as an Idaho fan, if I was handed this schedule and told this is what you were last year as, as UC Davis's quality in 2021. You handed this schedule. I would think five, five and six to seven and four is, is the window. And you, you shot right in the middle of that. Uh, a couple things didn't break your way. It is what it is. You can't be super thrilled with it, but you can't also be too devastated. Like you said, Brian, they're, they're exactly what we expected them to be. They are the best, like middle tier team in, in the big sky. They're not, one of those three or four schools that's just always just ahead above everybody, but they're clearly better than the second and third tiers of the big sky. They're just kind of in that weird 1.5 tier right now. Yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. I mean, the the bottom of the big sky is not bottom. The middle of the big sky is much better than it was, you know, 15 years ago or when Montana was making its run of winning what Montana won, like 12 consecutive big sky championships, something like that. Don't fact check, check me on it. It was about a decade. That's not the conference anymore, man. Um, you know, if this was a normal conference where every team played everyone, like, you know, if we not, this isn't to have the realignment talk, cause I'm not going to have that right now. But if you cut off the most recent non-university of Idaho editions, and this was a nine team conference, all the good teams would have to play each other. And I think you would just have a slew of teams at the top that finished like five and three and like the conference winner would be six and two or something like that. But that's not where we are. Like you said, you play the schedule you get. Uh, if you can't beat the good teams, you're not, uh, you're not a greater elite team. Uh, Davis didn't pick off enough good wins. They did get a good win against Idaho. Uh, but I, I mean, I think Davis not making the playoffs is fine for me I, I didn't have this huge i don't fret again i don't fret over if you're slightly off by one one spot or another like with montana state should montana state have been the three yeah well they finished as the four right? like same same goddamn thing it's just that their their actual map sucks but just looking at the number like yeah who gives a shit like three or four same damn thing it just means you're one of the top four teams in the nation in the end um rest of the conference i want to just breeze through real quick so uh to look at look at standings real to look, I gotta get standings up, man. I am just outing myself as being ready for this uh, for this conference year to to be over. Not because I didn't enjoy it; it's been a ride. Uh, but Tubbs of the Club, we've been publishing a lot of stuff, which uh, 
yeah, we, we did not get that huge regret. So we haven't hit Idaho State. Idaho State's obviously a dumpster fire F, right, Dallas? Um, I would give them a D minus only because I think when Raggle went semi-viral in this, or Raggle, however it's pronounced, I'm sorry, I don't care. Uh, tough shit. Be better at football. Um, when he went off about how there was a bunch of guys that aren't going to be here next year and attitudes have to change, and he even kind of said he was tired of Pocatello already, those are all facts. That that program needs to be burned to the ground and rebuilt from maybe the studs, but realistically, you need to just raise the whole thing and start fresh. The, the coach is on board with that, it sounds like. He understands that there is a lot of work to be done and that the, the guys that are right there right now are, are just not going to get it done. So I can't give him an F because at least the coach does seem to be fully aware of what he's walking into, which is not what Ed McCaffrey did at, at Northern Colorado. So can't give him an F for that. But I will give him a D minus. Okay, what about uh, Northern Arizona? Finish six and t- two and six. That is a solid D for me. Um, you know, you're still early in Chris Ball's tenure. Two and six oh, in conference, three and eight overall isn't good at all. Uh, it's definitely not where you want to be. Uh, but I wouldn't give it quite an F because he didn't bottom out to the point that he's going to get fired. I would imagine, I mean, forget, forgive me if I'm wrong here, but we are on the Monday after the season's over. I would have expected if Chris Ball was going to get fired, it would have been announced by now. Uh, Here we are at 1021 on Monday. He's not been fired. I'm assuming that means he's getting another year, which means he didn't F his way to losing the job. He's got another year to try to to show, what is this, year five for him coming up? Yeah, yeah. He's. I was about to ask you, are we sure that a fourth season is early in his tenure? I mean... With COVID, it, it's so hard to judge some of these things, um, and uh, and I feel like you know we've had this talk before, just you and I about Bo Baldwin. Do you call this Bo Baldwin's third season or second season at at Cal Poly? And it's it's that same for those guys that were trying to rebuild programs. What did the COVID year do? I don't think we really know the full extent of that. So I'm fine saying Chris Ball's got one more year to figure it out, and if next year you do the same thing, you go three and eight. Look, it's time for him to go. If he improves and they go five, maybe six wins, you know, maybe you you see, hey, there's there there is progress here. There was a little bit of a a weird year that threw some teams off. Maybe he's building. That that's the only reason I can't give him an F right now. Is there's maybe a chance that things still turn around there. And they use made the playoffs three times in program history. So I don't. I'm not trying to have preposterous standards for the dude, but. And they use gone backwards. They're clearly not as far along as they were when he, mm-hmm. when Chris Ball first took over. Clearly, there's they're not better off than before they fired Jerome Sowers. Uh, so, I, I'd go honestly, man. I'm going to give NAU an F. They won two Big Sky games, man. They're, they're coached in their fourth year, or fine, count it as third. If Jason Eck was in his third year at Idaho, Dallas, and Idaho won two games, tell me how you'd feel. Is that knowing what he inherited from Paul Petrino? Yeah. I would be pretty pissed off about it. If I yeah. now, but again, 
that's also because I expect so much more out of Idaho. I don't expect much out of NAU and maybe, maybe that's where, maybe it's my expectations of the program. Maybe that's why my grade is being influenced here. Okay. I will say but, your diagnosis is correct. Like uh, Jerome Sowers obviously had a, had a historic ish career. He made the playoffs five times with NAU, but I, I also don't think Jerome Sowers was going to get you much farther when he was fired in his sixties. That's fair. Uh, other teams we haven't touched yet. Uh, Cal Poly, 1-7 in conference. They pick up a last week of the season win over top five Portland State. Uh, I'm going to give them an F2. Uh, there's moments where Cal Poly looks fun offensively. Losing uh, quarterback Jaden Jones early in the season would hurt them pretty bad. Spencer Brash just turned the ball over way too much. There's clearly a reason why Jaden Jones won the starting job. Uh, Jones looks like he could be electric. That defense is miles away from being flirting with passable. But I think that injury really mattered for them. Uh, I think I, I think Cal Poly might make a, a mini jump next year, not into being good, but into not being like catastrophically terrible and not a guaranteed win on your schedule. I think Cal Poly could jump into that NAU tier next year. They're going to win one game that like, surprises people or they're going to be in a couple games that surprise people. And that's I think that's what Cal Poly's ceiling is. I think Cal Poly might have done like the, like you said, if Jaden Jones is healthy the whole year, they might have been able to do that. But Spencer Brash, that was a lot of turnovers. He almost had 20 of them. That was a rough season. Uh, Got to give him an F because they just they looked incompetent. But again, asterisk, Jaden Jones, maybe they're a little better. Maybe next year with Jaden Jones, they are taking a step towards being at least mediocre instead of just putrid. We're going to close by not talking about Portland State because I am so fatigued over like three or four can, years. Can I give Portland State a grade? Obviously an F. Yeah, absolutely an F. This was, this was if Bruce Barnum was ever going to show anything, this was the most talented team he's ever had except for the quarterback position. And Dante Sashray seemed pretty good. F. Good Fucking enough. F. Big old F. Yeah, maybe that's what Montana does offensively is whenever Portland, whenever Bruce Barnum's contract runs out at Portland State because they're not going to fire him uh, financially, uh, maybe he becomes the OC, and maybe that helps somehow. I don't know. Um, yeah, Portland State certainly had some talent, and they lost to Cal Poly to close the season out, man. that's a, They finished 3-5 and five on the year. Uh, this team should have at least been 4-4, four and four, and I know that's only one game, but like, Portland State was a team we thought early in the year might be in the middle of the conference. They weren't. They were maybe the best of the shittiest teams because they finished above NAU. They beat Eastern. They beat NAU as well. So uh, maybe that's who they are. But relative to these seniors who came back for this team, Dallas, yeah, you're right. Um, I'm just kind of fatigued with Portland State overall. The, the Big Sky media landscape has forever thought that being that Portland state is going to be a player every year. We hear they've got new recruits every year. They're going to be interesting. No, dude, they just like Bruce Barnum. That's it. They just like Bruce Barnum. That's fine. You can like the dude. The team's terrible. Um, they did lose Anthony Adams very early on in their season. So to be yeah, fair, they, I mean, but dude, every team loses guys. Like look, Montana's all pissed because how their season went, they lost their quarterback for two true. of the most important games of the season. Look, Idaho was without their starting quarterback to close the season out as well against okay, Idaho State sucks. But look, people go down. Uh, Idaho is without Therese Trainer, who would have been the number one wide receiver on the team heading into the year. They missed, were without him essentially the whole year. Every team is going to have important guys go down. That's just a fact of football, and uh, that's where we're at. Uh, 
I'm just going to close this out, man. The coaching hot seat, we would have talked about Ed McCaffrey, but his ass got shit-canned already. So great news. Uh, Dallas, real quick, who, who's the who's got the hottest seat heading into this year? Aaron Best. It's Aaron Best. Uh, if they do that again, if they do that season again, he's absolutely gone, especially if there is the slightest, smallest chance for Eastern to bring back Bo Baldwin, um, who whose family loved it in Cheney. Obviously, he had a great time there. Uh, I would think if you talked to him one-on-one, he'd probably say his career hasn't quite gone as he'd wanted it to when he left Eastern. That is the hottest seat to me because I don't think, I think that it is a rumor, even if I'm the one starting that rumor, I feel like that is a rumor that is only going to start heating up if Cal Poly sucks again next year and if Eastern sucks. Yeah, our voters have Bruce Barnum as the clear number two with the hot seat, but I I don't what 100% accept that. I, I I just don't think Portland State's gonna buy gonna pay to fire a coach. I was I was honestly shocked Northern Colorado was w- willing to pay to fire a coach. So the hot hot seat I'm gonna say it's I want to say Chris Ball because Chris Ball should be for sure, but I think in Montana because Montana will shit can a coach for on a winning season. Um, I think Bobby Houck has to show that this year is about injuries. I think if Bobby Houck doesn't show that this year is about injuries, they're looking they're looking real hard at they're looking around the conference seeing Idaho gets Jason Eck, Montana State gets Brent Vegan, Troy Sacramento State gets Troy Taylor. Yes, Bobby Houck is still a good coach overall, but if the program is around Bob Stitt level, well, Bob Stitt got fired for seven and four. Uh, if Montana does this again, I don't I don't know if Howe comes back. Because uh, certainly Montana has the pocketbook. Um, Chris Ball, to me, on merit, should be the guy you're looking at. But with firing a coach, it's not just merit. It's what the actual scenario is. And I think I think Bobby Houck needs to either make some changes or just be right that it was key injuries at the wrong time, and that's it. Dude, this show is brought to you guys by Hughes River Expedition. Uh, not going to go through the whole ad read because uh, Dallas needs to get off this call right now. Um, Hughes River Expedition is run by Colin, Colin Scott Hughes kick-ass vandal big sky family they do do river expeditions in both idaho and montana if you are looking for something like a family trip or you want a corporate type of trip hughes river expedition they are the single best place to possibly get hooked up with for for any sort of river guiding and also you want to go on river guide with a dude who will talk big sky that's calling Hughes. so look if you if you're interested which you should be look all you have to do is bring your clothes HRA is going to ha- handle the rest. So grab a paddle, catch dinner, ride the bull all throughout the gem state. Call them now at 800-262-1882 or check them out at HughesRiver.com. Thanks, you guys, for joining us this season. I am now going to face plant through closing this episode out with our litany of outro videos. And I am going to just start clicking. Here we go. Jesus Christ. Motherfucker.